You're listening to Ritual, a podcast for curious humans, all about creative practices, mindset, and professional improvement. I'm your host, Daniel Lamb, CEO of Holland Creative. All right, folks, today we have a very special episode for you. You're going to really enjoy this conversation. We get into a lot of really cool stuff around the rituals of writing and what that looks like on a daily basis and what blocks people come up to when it comes to crafting a ritual that works. So our speaker today is Dr. Cindy, the expert's ghostwriter. She is a ghostwriter and book coach for entrepreneurs that want to write books that make money and make an impact. Her business, Childress Business Communication, took bronze for Most Innovative Company of the Year for the Stevie Awards for Women in Business 2020. She's been quoted in the U.S. News and World Report and Thrive Global. Her clients go on to achieve bestseller status, give TEDx talks, and win book awards. She holds a Ph.D. in English from the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. She fosters rescue dogs and cats in her spare time. Okay, I'm going to bring Cindy on. You guys enjoy. Okay, Dr. Cindy, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So we're going to be talking about soap operas and book writing. But before we jump into the gold mine that is the days of our lives, Dr. Cindy, I need to ask you my number one question. What is your ritual? When you first launched this podcast, I was so excited about it because I saw the topic of rituals. I'm like, that's really cool. And then I thought, well, what are my rituals? And I feel like they're not that unique. I do things like... Like I take a bath every day and that's where I write my daily Instagram posts. So that's a little bit of a ritual. And then I also watch Days of Our Lives every day and try to get about 100 ounces of water. So those are the things that I always do consistently. And then when I approached you about maybe having a topic for the show, I thought the middle one was the one that would actually be more interesting to people besides me. Yeah, it was funny because before we started recording, we were just talking about how everybody has like this. I think just about anybody living in America over a certain age probably has some relationship to soap operas. They're just fascinating. They are. I started watching Days of Our Lives when I was in the fourth grade. We would ride the school bus over to my Girl Scout troop leader's house for our monthly troop meetings. And before she would start the meeting, she would wait 30 minutes until her soap opera ended. Days of Our Lives was from two to three, and we didn't start the Girl Scout meeting till three. And the thing is, I loved the soap so much that that was the more exciting thing for me. I really didn't care about the arts and crafts thing we were doing that day. I wanted to catch up on whether Marlena was still kidnapped. And... (laughs) if Celeste and Stefano had gotten caught or not. And that my imagination was just captured. Ever since then, I've been a faithful watcher of that show. Nice. I can also relate to watching soaps as a kid and growing up with those stories, those bizarre stories of kidnappings and doppelgangers and fake deaths and all these really strangely alluring things that really hook us in. There's something really, I think, special about a story that can hook you so quickly without a lot of context because there's there's like an infinite amount of backstory for people who've been watching for a while, but people can become fans at just about any moment. So there's 
just something really magical about that to me. So that said, you are the experts ghostwriter. You teach people how to write books. How did you get into professional writing? And also, what's your PhD in specifically? Like, what did you do your dissertation on? So my PhD is in English, and it's with a creative dissertation. So I have a generalist degree. It's a perfect fit for freelance writing services because I had to test for proficiency in four areas. So I did women's literature and feminist criticism, then literary criticism writ large, which works really well because with a theoretical mindset, I can understand any theory. So in terms of understanding frameworks, which is a great way to write a book. I've got that machinery built in. And then I also did modern American literature and Shakespeare studies to make sure that I would always have a teaching job if I wanted one. That was kind of the academic side. And then the dissertation is in poetry. So it's my original poems, which I've had over 70 poems and short stories published in various literary journals over the years and even performed in a festival in Singapore and lots of fun things. And then I lived overseas for seven years after I finished my PhD with my husband's oil and gas job. So when we came back to the States, I had a situation of being highly educated, but a seven-year work gap. I couldn't find a job that was appropriate to my level of experience and expertise. So I tried to find just jobs at businesses that did things like what I would want to be doing. Couldn't get interviews for those jobs. I finally took my education off and still couldn't find a job filing papers. And so I became a certified personal trainer. And I want to share that because now, you know, I'm a six-figure ghostwriter. I have a PhD in English. It seems, well, obviously she can do it. But, you know, coming back from the States, you know, I had to completely reinvent myself and which is a very days of our lives thing, by the way. And so with being a certified personal trainer, I became promoted to supervise the call center and do quality control on the 1-800 number for that company, which led to technical writing. And what happened there is my confidence increased. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a badass. Nobody would hire me, but that is their loss. And so I started my business to see if I could find other businesses that would want me to do the kind of writing for them that I had been doing for that gym, which I had expected to be like technical manuals and SOPs, which standard operating procedures. But what I ended up finding were people who were about to self-publish and they had written books. And so I edited a book for a friend of mine and she was so happy with my work. But my thought was, as good as this is now, it would be so much better if I had been there from the start and just planned this whole thing and done it all myself. And so that's where the ghostwriting part of my business was born. And I've been doing it since the spring of 2017. And to this date, I've written or edited 24 books, which are published, some of which are Amazon bestsellers, have won book awards and landed my clients on the TEDx stage or even gotten them cable TV shows. That's pretty impressive. I find that very, very interesting. So I have uh, just a, a question about writing a book for somebody else. How how much time in like, you know, like a timeline, what is a timeline for a ghostwriting project? Yeah, how long is it? 
The fastest one I've ever done was four months. And what I'll say about that project is it was not a long book. It was actually under 30,000 words, but because of some formatting choices, it printed to around 130 pages. And the process is really the same for that book as it is for the one that took the longest of any book I've worked on, which was two years. So it's a process that can be shrunk or expanded, but essentially we figure out who the target reader is because we want to write the book like we're writing in their head. Otherwise, it's probably a wasted effort. So we figure out who the target audience is. We define the goals for the author. What does success look like for you when this book is successful? Because that tells me what kind of book you need to write to get you there. And then we do a brain dump of what's everything your target reader needs to know to get from where they are now with the problem they have, which is why they're searching Amazon for a book just like yours to where you want them to be when such that they are ready to participate in your future offers and stay in touch with you to be in your funnel, essentially. I put together a table of contents from that brain dump, a little back and forth with me and the author, and then we get started with author interviews. From the detailed outline of the book, I create open-ended questions to conduct the interviews. They are recorded, and I don't use transcripts, by the way. I type while the person is talking, and I find that much more efficient because I only write down the good stuff. A lot of times when you're processing orally, you talk around something five times before you get to the heart of it, but I don't want your reader to have to go around it five times to get the gist. So, And then I go back to the recording to pick up anything I missed. And then we go through the editing process as well for developmental and copy and line editing. And then you walk away with a manuscript that is so beautiful. You can open it anywhere and start reading it out loud. And it sounds amazing. Wow. That's that's really impressive and really cool. You know what it sounds like too. What you just described sounds a lot like a long form sales letter. The the process that you that you just spoke about. I love that you said that because the first book I read as an entrepreneur was Dan Kennedy's The Ultimate Sales Letter, and I use it to inform my writing process. That is no accident. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because yeah, Dan Kennedy is definitely thinking about things in the right way when it comes to using words to make money. I think he knows. A thing, or two, about a thing or two. Yes, he literally wrote the book on it. <laughs> exactly. I want to back up a little bit because I think this this question probably has a lot to do with what brings people to the table for you. What's one of the biggest blocks for people who say they want to write a book? Yeah, I love this question. Often when I get on a 15-minute call with someone who's interested in my ghostwriting services, one thing I'll ask them is, can you point to a reason that you haven't already written the book? A lot of times the answer is they feel overwhelmed by the ideas and don't know how to start or don't know what the reader will care about. And ultimately, that's why I start all my book writing projects with figuring out who the reader is. Because if we don't know that, then we're in a situation of, well, you're an expert, you know everything about your topic. But if you just write everything you know, you're probably going to write a boring book that no one wants to read that won't have a very clear audience. And in fact, I just booked a client. She signed her contract today to begin a process. And it was just this kind of thing, even on the 15 minute call, because she had 30 things she wanted to do. And then I'm like, okay, well, let's figure out who's already in your audience because that's a great place to start for your first book so you can build what you already have and connections that are already there. So who are those people? 
What would they want to know from you that connects to your bigger goal of why you want to do this project? And then, you know, what? let's think about just what the things are you want to say to them. And then she's like, oh, well, I do know what those things are. And then I'm like, great, then you do know what to write in your book. And we're going to do it together to get it done. So without knowing who your target reader is, you know, you can just languish for 12 years. And I've met people who've come through my pipeline that are in that situation just because they're trying to write for everybody. Yeah, I can really relate to that idea of of wanting to create something and putting it out there and then finding all these blocks internally that stop one from doing it. And I think that that also ties back into ritual too, because for some people, the idea of writing sounds like, why would I want to do that? I've talked to so many people who are great speakers or who are great strategy folks, but they hate writing, they hate the process. And so the idea of like a lot, you'll read a lot of people who say, well, if you want to write a book, you get up every day at a half hour earlier, knock out 30 minutes of writing a day. And then somewhere down the line, you've got a manuscript and that, that doesn't really work for people because like, to your point, it's, it's more about the overwhelm of the strategy strategy than it is about the process of sitting down and writing. Even as a copywriter, I can relate to that. If I have a project that's not really well defined, I don't want to sit down and write it. But if I have a, a laundry list of tasks that I can knock out and the stuff that will take me from vague ideas to specifically well-written pages, then it makes it a hell of a lot easier. It really does. So let's talk about your unique approach and how we can use what happens in these soap operas in our creative work. Yes. And, and you just alluded to it earlier, how you can watch Days of Our Lives for 40 years and be totally caught up on every single side plot. Or you can turn on your television today, pick up on the current episode and quickly figure out what's going on. So how do they do that? One thing they do that I'm always cognizant of in book writing is they start every scene with conflict. As soon as a scene opens, you see the character and very quickly there is character development. So you know where we are. You have an idea of who this character is and what they want or what they're worried about, what the conflict is in the scene. And then the scene always introduces, they move a degree on whatever their problem is. So sometimes they, another character comes in and gives them information, whether it's true or false, that new information moves them either closer to what they wanted or further away from what they wanted. And you never see them close a scene without a character moving a certain amount either toward or away from what they wanted, which was the signature, the conflict that opened the scene. And then they'll cut to another scene with another character with another conflict. And then they'll have those in a given episode, they'll have the conflicts that they're representing will mirror and be in conversation with each other. And that is exactly the same thing that happens in a well-written book chapter. You want to have the chapter open, and this is whether it's a memoir or self-help or even an information teaching book, by the way, you want it to open with the conflict that the chapter is about because that's why people are going to care. A book about nothing, nobody wants to read it. We need to know who the people are what they want in your chapter, whether it's, you know, the reader and why the reader would be reading it. And then throughout the chapter, within each section, you want each section to open the same way, like those scenes within an episode. You can't get to the sections and be like, okay, now the reader's engaged. I'm just going to talk at them. Nope. They're going to put that book down. Just like the soap opera, they want to keep the audience member watching for the entire show because they're selling. Originally, they were created to sell soap to women in the daytime. So they want to keep your attention too. So I noticed those same things that soap operas are doing and um, we can do to keep our readers engaged in our books. 
I really like that you mentioned the idea of two things. Well, the movement by degree thing. I think I, I noticed this like a lot more today in like you see like when you binge a Netflix season of something and there's never any like real like payoff at the end of the season, right? It's always movement by degree, either toward or away from a resolution that keeps the door open for this ad infinitum story that will maybe go on forever if it keeps getting exactly. renewed. Exactly. Yeah, when they close the loop too well in a given series, I'll look at my husband and say, I don't know where they're going to go from here. And then it's it's funny because on the one hand, like leaving an open loop can be frustrating, I think, to the audience at the end. But if it's tied up too neatly and the loop is really well closed, it's just kind of like anticlimactic and a bore in some ways. Very true. And when I think about how I end chapters, that's something on my mind too, because you can end a chapter so well where the concern that you addressed is so thoroughly addressed that the reader can say, huh, it's done. I did it. I'm putting the book down. I already won. And so what we want to do is even as you satisfy a concern in a given chapter, then we want to open the loop to the concern that you look at in the next chapter. So that it's, okay, now that we have this done, let's see what we're going to do next. And it doesn't have to be like a boring textbook that just tells you what the next chapter is going to be. I'll point to Todd Herman's The Alter Ego Effect as a book. I didn't work on, by the way, but it's a book that does that really well, where it ends with a very satisfying conclusion to what that chapter addresses. And then it piques your imagination and curiosity and invites you to keep reading the next chapter. That's really cool. I'll definitely have to check that book out because I think that one of the things I've noticed as being an information junkie and a serial book reader is that some people, especially in the nonfiction space, in the business space, they fall into like one of two camps, right? One is like, this is a book that is very dry and should be a textbook or this book is story driven and really fascinating and I want to keep reading it. I think one of the weirdest books I've ever read that was actually really good was this book on systems theory called The Goal. And it was about this story about this factory plant, the story of this guy trying to make things better using the theory of constraints. And it had nothing to do with like the nuts and bolts theory of constraints stuff. It was just the story of what happened. And that was like such a much better story than like a long form blog post that's like, you know, here are the bullet points. Yeah. People don't want that. Even if they're actually coming to a book to learn, they don't want to be talked at. They want to be engaged with. And we do that by writing compelling stories. Absolutely. And I wonder, maybe you can answer this. What is it about storytelling that helps us digest like complex information? Absolutely. There's two things. Number one, information remains abstract if you can't contextualize it for yourself. So I can read a great business book with great business tips that I didn't feel emotionally engaged with or like it really related to me, and I will walk away without implementing anything. However, another business book that has that teaches the exact same things, but they're telling me stories about other business owners and how they've how they approach these things and how they tried to implement the problems they encountered on the way, the objections they had for why they didn't want to try it. And then they finally try it. You know, the problems that they're trying to solve. Then what happens is by using those 
specific details, even if I personally am not exactly like that avatar that they're creating in the story, I can still relate those specific details to my own specific details. So what's happening there, and this comes straight from NLP, is the concept of anchoring, where when you have those concrete, specific sensory details, you're anchoring your teaching with sensory information and memories your reader already has, which is a very effective strategy for teaching and retaining information and also transformation. When you want to change someone's life or even change their habits or practices or how they think about something in your book, you will probably not be able to do that without using story so that the reader can anchor your story with their own emotional memory, really. And when you do that well, though, you can affect a transformation with your book. Wow, that's that is some really profound advice. And I think that that is an amazing point to pivot from to talk about how you're helping people. So can you tell us a little bit about what it is you're working on now? Because I know that you have a program starting very soon. And this is a really great opportunity for people to like take this work to the next level. Absolutely. So my upcoming course is called Success Story. It is six weeks to write your mind-blowing stories. And this is particularly for business owners who have personal brands. So you know you should be talking about yourself. Everybody tells you to, but nobody really tells you how, at least not the way that I do. So I bring in the tools of fiction writing, like some things we've talked about today, conflict, character development, setting, plot, all those good things, and show you how to take those advices to your own lived experiences to create compelling stories to relate to your audience. And by the way, this can be things you use in emails or social media captions, maybe a little bit of a blurb on an about page, or it can go in your memoir or self-help book. So there's a lot of ways that you can repurpose your stories, and I think you should do that. And when you have just a few well-written stories, you can keep using them over and over in your business to start creating your origin story and all the mythology around you and why you're amazing and why your target readers just are attracted to you. Where do I sign up? This sounds amazing. I just had a bunch of fireworks going off in my brain. Dr. Cindy, thank you so much for being on the show today. We're going to link to Success Story here in the show notes. Where can we find all this good stuff and how can people connect with you? To sign up for the course, which starts April 27th, go to bit.ly backslash success story 2021. And if you did not get all that down, no worries at all. Just visit my website, cindychildress.com, and you'll find everything you need to get signed up and join my newsletter as well. Awesome. Again, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Daniel. This was a blast. Thanks for listening to Ritual. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone that you think would love it. Special thanks to our producer, Emily Milling, and her team at The Ultimate Creative and our amazing business manager, Erica McCauley. I recorded the intro music for this podcast with Spencer Garn at Diamond Street Studios here in Atlanta. Until next time, I'm Daniel Lamb. And just remember, everything that you need to be creative is right here with you within you in this moment.